0: it right here Put it right here Thank you So in this passage we get uh, two for one we get Old Testament and New Testament. So uh, let's pray Lord God we give you thanks for your word which is always um, always encouraging even, even when it's condemning even when it corrects us, because we need to be corrected sometimes. So help us to hear your voice through your word. That's what you've given us, and I give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before I get into this passage, I want to... I was thinking this week about my mom, who's 89. I was thinking about my mother-in-law, Arlene Goding, who uh, passed away at 96, and... Up at 90 and 96, they loved reading scripture. They were still interesting. Arlene, every moment, morning, would get up, and she'd have her devotional time. And I thought, wow, at 96, don't you know it all? And if anybody would, it would be Arlene or my mom. And, and they did. And, and I came across this quote by Martin Luther, who's the sort of, we say, is the founder of the Protestant uh, tradition and this is what Martin Luther said we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day it's really true isn't it I mean we know it but we forget to live it out and we forget to hear some like like when we were singing uh, I came out of Jesus spoke and I came out of that grave I needed to hear that do I know that I know that but I need to hear it today. And so I pray that as we go through the word that um, we don't go, yeah, I've read that. We go, I need to hear that today because I forget it every day. All right. Bunny wasn't the only one that had a bad day. Jesus had a really trying day. Our, Our passage this morning begins with then. Well, when then? It's still the Sabbath. Do you remember how long we've been preaching on the Sabbath? A long time, right? And I want you to think, I mean, if you think your Sundays are long, I want you to think about Jesus' Sunday, okay? If you want one day in the life of Jesus, turn to Matthew chapter 12. That is one day in the life of Jesus. And here is how it begins. He's walking through the grain fields. His disciples are picking off grains, uh, grain from the grain fields. And Jesus gets condemned. He's charged with being uh, a, a bad teacher. He's, what kind of rabbi is he? He's not teaching his disciples the right things. Then he goes into the synagogue, and they start watching him. And they say, we are going to condemn you if you heal somebody. And Jesus, of course, heals them. And they condemn him. And then he walks out of the synagogue and he spends time healing people. And it says every single person he healed. Everybody that came out of the synagogue and everybody from the town. If they had something that needed to be healed, Jesus healed it. This is one long day. And then Jesus starts teaching and the Pharisees and scribes, they condemn him as what? Filled with Satan. Satan. You're Beelzebub. Wow. This is some Sabbath, huh? For Jesus. Then, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered. Now, they didn't really answer because Jesus didn't ask a question. Really, that word could be translated, and I think it should be, they replied. So Jesus is speaking, and I imagine that they simply interrupted him. That, you know how that is when you have a long speaker, and, and you're like, as soon as they take a breath, I'm going to say something because they're going on forever. And I'm sure the, the Pharisees were thinking he's spoken long enough. I mean, people love to hear Jesus speak, he's not a long speaker. They loved to hear him speak. But I imagine as soon as Jesus went, <gasps> they, they, they interrupted and they, and they said, um, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, what's interesting is they call him teacher. Now, here's a real interesting thing in the book of Matthew. Do you know that the only people who address Jesus as teacher are non-followers. The followers of Jesus never call him teacher. Never. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's the Son of God. Not teacher. Great preacher. Astonishing healer. But only the Pharisees and those who don't know Jesus call him teacher. And the Pharisees do this to bring Jesus down to their level. They want Jesus to know that you're not better than me. You're not better than us. You don't know more than us, teacher. Not son of God to them. And, and they say to him, we want to see a sign from you. And I think this is why because if you remember what Jesus just finished saying, he just finished saying, "'For a tree is known by its fruit, "'you brood of vipers. "'How can you speak good when you are evil? "'For out of the abundance of the heart "'the mouth speaks.'" So I think they say to Jesus, "'We wish to see a sign from you.'" I think they're saying, "'Okay, you're talking about good fruit.'" What kind of fruit do you have, Jesus? You're not better than us. We're teachers. You're a teacher. What can you do to show that you're better than us? What kind of fruit do you have? Okay, now here's the thing that would be frustrating for me. Not for Jesus, but for me. If you remember, Jesus has come out of the synagogue and he has just... Healed every sick person, <laughs> and they say we want to see a sign from you. <laughs> right? You see the irony there. Hello, uh, hello. Do you do you guys not see it? How can you? turn a blind eye. You know? Do you know where that term blind eye comes from? It's really interesting. The term blind eye comes out of a 19th century uh, British naval battle. And um, on April 2nd of 1801, it was called the Battle of Copenhagen. And the British fleet was attacking the combined navies of Denmark and Norway. And there were three British ships, and they ran aground. Stuck. All right? And so the, um, so the Admiral, Hyde Parker, decided that the heated battle was too hot and that they had to stand down. So Parker sent the order, signal flags. They don't have walkie-talkies or phones or anything. So he sent signal flags. And he sent them to the younger admiral, Horatio Nelson. And he said discontinue action. Withdraw. Well, Nelson um, heard his own signal man man relay the order. He read the flags and he was speaking the order. But um, Nelson pretended not to hear him. Nelson had no intention of obeying the order. And so um, he, he turned to his, his captain and he said, Nelson, the admiral, turned to his captain and said, this day may be the last day for us at any moment. And at that moment, the cannonball hit the mast and blew it into pieces. But Nelson, what's interesting is that Nelson had already lost his right eye. He only had one eye. And he had lost it in a previous battle. So um, he pressed again to respond to Parker's order. Nelson told his flag captain, who was Thomas Foley, you know, Foley, I have only one eye. I have the right be blind sometimes. And then Nelson held up the telescope to his right eye, his blind eye, and said, I don't see the signal. <laughs> so he kept fighting. Ridiculous, isn't it? This is the Pharisees. Teacher, show us the sign. They're turning a blind eye. I just want to stop for a second here and think. Are you seeing what's happening at Asbury College? Are you, do you know that it has moved now to 22 other colleges? God, I was loving the singing here this morning. I love that song. He called my name. I came out of the grave. I already told you that. And the kids at these colleges, they just want to keep on singing. They don't want it to come to an end. And they're confessing sin, and they're engaging in culture. Did you hear about the movie Jesus Revolution? There's a movie in the theaters that you need to take your friends to. It's called The Jesus Revolution. It uh, Kelsey Grammer uh, is, is in it, but it's about the story of... Uh, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, and Chuck Smith, which is where really Christian music came out of that uh, Calvary Chapel. And and I used to go there. Every Saturday night, I'd get my family's old Pontiac station wagon, and I would pile as many kids as I could possibly get. This is Dave before laws, okay? <laughs> and we would get we'd get sometimes 15 kids in that station wagon. Front seat packed, back seat packed, and you know how the old station wagons had like a big empty spot in the back, and the kids were just piled in there. And I just, I lived way up high, and as I went down the hill to get to the road to go up to Calvary Chapel, I just would stop and pick up kids. And we'd pick up all these kids, and we went to Calvary Chapel and listened to Chuck Smith when he preached, and we listened to all the Christian music. People are going, the news says that people are going to this movie Jesus' Revolution and they are coming to Christ in the movie theaters. Don't turn a blind eye to what God, people in our culture today are hungry for gospel. They're hungry for good news because the gospel we forget it all the time, every day. So we need to preach it every day. Do you see what's happening here? 25 women went on a retreat. 20, that's 25% of the worshiping congregation. Men's ministry last night, which I didn't see because my wife had two flat tires. <laughs> but I intended to be there. And was it great, guys? Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. We got D groups. We got Wednesday prayer. What's God doing? Don't turn a blind eye. Okay, we need to move on. But I want to encourage you to uh, pack up your car with people and go see that Jesus rev- uh, uh, Revolution movie. Um, I hear it's powerful. So Jesus continues. They say, Teacher, you're like us, you're just a teacher. We have seen a sign because it's not like you've been. Haven't been healing people all day long. And Jesus says, He says, click. Wait, I'll get it. There it is. But he answered them. An evil, an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. An evil and adulterous generation seeks. It. That means they're evil. Because they're seeking a the sign. The Pharisees are evil. And, and, and if you know about the Pharisees, you'd say, Really, Stuart, evil? Really, they're evil? Do you think that's strong language? Yeah, that's pretty strong. And it's the generation. I think Jesus doesn't mean just those people. The way Matthew uses generation, it means and every generation. We're all of the same generation. Look around our culture. Don't turn a blind eye to what's good. Don't turn a blind eye to what's evil in our culture. And there's plenty of it. He says, evil. Evil can be translated another way, and maybe this makes more sense. A healthy tree, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. The word is evil. It's the exact same word. Bad fruit. Nor can a deceased uh, tree bear good fruit. So our gender, if I was... Had you respond, don't respond to this question, okay? If I said, how many of you are evil? Probably no people, no one would raise their hand. i say, who here is evil? I'm not evil. If I said, who here is bad? Hopefully, we'd raise our hands and say, yeah, I've been bad. I've been bad. I've cheated. I've given little white lies. What's a white lie anyway? They have a word for it, you know. It's called a picadillo. They actually have a word for a white lie. Come on. All right? But, uh, so if I said, if anybody here has been bad, if I said, yeah, I've been bad. The New International Reader's Version in Matthew 15 says this. Bad thoughts or evil thoughts come out of a person's heart. Do not murder, adultery, and other sexual sins and so do stealing, false witness, and telling lies about others. The list could go on. The truth is, we have, we have bad hearts. The famous Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, says this, and I, I love this quote. If you like taking down quotes, this is one for you. If any man thinks ill of you, Do not be angry with them, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. (laughs) And that's really true. That's what Jesus is saying. As Christians, we're being redeemed, or we're being made whole. But we still do bad things. And we still need the gospel every day, because we forget it every day. But Jesus says, not only evil, but adulterous. Now, it's not like the Pharisees out there were all doing adultery. If I said, raise your hand if you've been adulterous, I would hope none of you would raise your hands. But it has to do with Malachi and with the Old Testament concept that you're my people and you continue to stray. If I said, do you ever stray from God, then probably we'd say, yeah, I do. I don't want to, but but I do from time to time. Our relationship with God. Are we faithful to God? Are we faithful to God with our eyes? Are we faithful to God with our mouth? Are we faithful to God with our body? Are we found in Bible study and prayer meetings? Are we found Helping our neighbors and those in need. Are we found visiting the sick? How do you treat God? That's what Jesus is talking about. Because if we are not being faithful to God and the thing God calls us to do, we are being adulterous. That's what Jesus is calling about. And in particular with the Pharisees and scribes, their unfaithfulness, their adultery is shown in their lack of repentance and faith. I'm going to say it again. Their unfaithfulness or their adultery is shown in their lack of repentance and faith. Repentance, remember, is a change in one's life. It's not just turning away from a single bad thing. It is that, but it's more than that. It's a whole new way of seeing life, it's a world view, it's understanding God to be something more than what we've ever thought God to be. It's a complete change of attitude. In the ancient culture, they didn't believe that people could have a radical change. But when we look at things like Asbury College and what's happening there, when we might, maybe we look at our own lives, we say, yeah, God can make radical changes. So Jesus is not going to give a sign. But he's going to give one sign. And this one sign will stand for all others. In this one sign, you can make sense of all others. And it's the sign of Jonah. So Jesus continues to talk about that. He says this. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of of the great fish, in Hebrew... It actually is a great fish. But I don't know if you remember, but about 10 years ago, a whale was actually found in the Mediterranean Sea. You're just swimming, having a good time. He's thinking, there's got to be a Jonah in here somewhere. <laughs> Somebody's got to be thrown overboard, right? So I'm just going to use the term whale, because that's what I grew up with, Jonah and the whale understanding that is a great fish, okay, but a great fish is a whale, okay, so I'm just going to say that, um, in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, we have to understand something about Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and this is the only verse from the book of Jonah I'm going to read. The rest I'm going to summarize Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Now, if you look at that map, you see where Joppa is? Jonah, that's that's in Israel. Jonah is somewhere in Israel. He goes down to the coast of Joppa, and he heads off to Tarshish. Do you see where Nineveh is? It's 550 miles away the other direction. He goes 250 miles the other direction. 2,500. That puts him 3,500 miles, something like that, miles away from where he's supposed to be. You know what he needs to do? Repent. He's got to literally turn around and head to Nineveh. Now, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? We've got to ask that question. I'll tell you why. The Assyrians, Nineveh is part of Assyria, that's the nation. It's the biggest city in, it's a tremendous. It took three days to go around the circumference of Nineveh. Big city. But the Assyrians were known to keep their uh, empire together through extreme terror. And I was going to give you some examples. But we have kids in this church. And if I read you some of the things that the Assyrians did, your jaw would rob. Imagine all those World War II Nazi films and everything you saw them do. Uh, that pales in comparison to what the Assyrians did. It was, you just got to trust me. Will you believe me? They did really bad and nasty things to people. And Jonah had to go and preach against them. Now, Jonah was not afraid of the Ninevites. He wasn't afraid that they were so bad. You know what he was afraid of? He was afraid that if he went and preached what God wanted him to preach, they would what? Repent. And He did not like the Ninevites, and he thought that they should go to, mm. He didn't want that. So Jonah starts, he runs. He just gets on the boat and goes off to Tarshish, except God says, ah. And God throws up a big storm, a big storm. And the other sailors on the boat are like, okay, what is going on here? They start crying out to their gods. And, of course, nothing happens because there are no other gods. There's only one God. And then they go, well, who are we missing? And they go, well, there's a guy sleeping below deck, a guy sleeping below deck in a great storm. They don't go down to get Jonah. To make a long story short, Jonah says, it's my fault. I'm running from God. And they're like, you're crazy. He said, the only way to stop this storm is to throw me overboard. And so what do they do? They throw him overboard. We all want to save our own lives, don't we? That's what they do. So Jonah goes down into the water and he's swallowed by a whale. And he's in there for three days and three nights. He is, Jonah is a rebellious child of God. He's disobedient to God's word. He's adulterous. Right, He's breaking that covenant relationship and he doesn't care. He's evil, like the Ninevites, in the sense of bad. Bad decision, uh, Jonah. Running from God. Who here thinks you can run from God? Good, no hands. Because you know what? You can't run from God. God knows. After Jonah was swallowed... He goes in the belly of the well, and he has what I call a come-to-Jesus moment. I know it's Old Testament, but he has a come-to-Jesus moment. And he has this great prayer, and he goes, all right, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And he realizes his disobedience, and so this is actually what the, the Hebrew text says. He's vomited. I've had vomit on me but I've never been vomited. And that must have been the experience for Jonah. And he's probably kind of white from all the acids in in the well. He probably was not a good-looking person. Vomit all over him. And so he goes to Nineveh, and he does what God asked him to do. It was no longer about his feelings. Our culture is so about feelings. Our feelings equal truth. And that's the farthest thing from truth. Our feelings don't. He didn't want to go. Repentance doesn't mean you're happy, repentance means you're obedient. He said to God, I'll go. And he went, but he was not happy about it. He repented but not happy. And he goes. And he preached. And you know, he didn't actually preach a message of repentance. You know what he preached? He said, you're all going to die. So he said, God's not happy with you. You're all going to die. And you know what the Ninevites did? They repented. Even their animals, they put in sackcloth and ashes. It's a remarkable thing. And because of his obedience, Nineveh is changed. And so here's one of the things I want you to understand about Jonah is that our repentance isn't just for us. If Jonah hadn't repented, Nineveh would have been destroyed. But he did repent. His repentance made a difference. To the whole city, a whole nation, the greatest city in all of Assyria. Now, here's what's really interesting about the Jonah story, and I'm gonna relate it to Jesus in just a minute. Still with me? In history, the 8th century, which is when Jonah lived, for the Assyrians is known as the period of stagnation. If you read a book about the Assyrians in the 8th century, you'll see all the historians talk about a, uh, as a period of stagnation. Because in the previous 41 years, three successive kings, without fail, went to war and committed all the atrocities that the Assyrians are known for. And if kings did not go out to war, it was a reason to have a rebellion and pose them as the king. So they always went to war. The history books that you would read of the 8th century, Assyria, have no explanation for the stagnation. None. Why didn't they go to war? If you read historical records of the time, they simply say the king stayed in the land. To understand the stagnation, to understand why the king's did not go out to war for over 41 years, why they risked their throne, you have to read the Bible. In particular, you have to read the book of Jonah, and then you realize, oh, Jonah preached, and they repented. It's in the history book they just don't have the theological understanding to say it was Jonah that changed God who changed the nation through Jonah's obedience. It's remarkable. So Jonah goes down one way, comes up another way, changed, because of that, Largest city repents of its horribly, horribly violent ways. What's going on in Asbury has moved on to 22 other colleges. What is gonna happen in th- people are repenting in theaters? It's amazing. Now, Jesus. When Jesus goes down to the earth, he goes down clothed in our sin. In some ways, he's just like Jonah, only it's our sin. It's our violence. It's our evil. It's our unfaithfulness. He goes into the grave bloodied and bruised and crucified, which was a horrible death. He's experienced Nineveh at its worst for us when he was crucified. In fact, crucifixion was such a violent death that it was outlawed by the Romans about 200 years after his death. Because it's so horrible. When Jesus rises from the dead, his resurrection body is free from the world's sin. He has taken our sin and crucified it on his body so that we can be free of the power of sin if we repent and accept Christ. Nineveh is freed, and they changed their horribly wicked ways. We can be freed because we accept Christ, because he has done away with the horrible things that we think that come out of our heart. Now the story gets even more interesting what Jesus says. The men of Nineveh, now realize what he's saying, One of the most, probably the most violent culture in history will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Wow. Isn't that kind of like saying the murderers are going to be the judges? The person who robbed our house is going to judge me? The violent people are going to be judged? Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. But why? For they repented at the preaching of of Jonah. And behold, pay attention is my favorite word, pay attention, something greater than Jonah is here. The Ninevites will be their judges and condemn this generation. How can this possibly be? Because of repentance. And what this tells us is the absolute transforming power Of God through repentance. Repentance isn't just about morality. The Ninevites saw society differently. They decided to change everything, they even had their animals in ashes. A complete 180 in thought, heart, mind, and action. Repentance is tremendous. The criminals become the justices. When we repent and turn towards Christ, Christ washes our record clean. How else can the Ninevites be judges? They can't unless their record is washed clean in the blood of Christ. You need to realize, no matter what you've done, if you confess faith in Christ, forgiveness means your slate, your history, your violence, your anger, your lies, your cheating, whatever it is, you fill in the blank for you, is washed clean. That's amazing. This is an amazing passage. Behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. So let me just go through some of the differences real quick. Jonah never died, swallowed by a whale, but he did not die. Jesus actually was killed, dead, and buried in a tomb. Jonah uh, was a sinner who had to repent of his own sin, his rebellion, his disobedience, his unfaithfulness to God. Jesus in perfect obedience to his father, goes to the cross. He's sinless. He chooses to take our sin in his body and put it to death on a cross. Jonah, God rescued Jonah from drowning by sending a whale. Jonah is then vomited out of its mouth. He then goes and preaches to Nineveh. Jesus is raised from the dead. He walks out of the tomb. Having achieved life for all who accept him. Believe in him. Trust in him with their life. Oh, there are differences. But Jonah, the example of Jonah, begins to give us a picture of the perfect resurrection. And then finally, it ends with this. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation. This almost seems not a non sequitur, but it's not. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the end of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, here's the second one. Pay attention. Something greater than Solomon's here. Now this is amazing. Because the Queen of Sheba is a Gentile, and no Pharisee is going to be judged by any Gentile. I guarantee that. Queen of Sheba is, obviously, a woman. And there's no Gentile man, no Pharisee scribe that's going to be judged by a woman. Ain't going to happen. Not going to work. Oh, but it is. And why? Because she understood the importance of Solomon. She understood who Solomon was the nature of his kingdom. And she's willing to come from the ends of the earth just to hear him. Yet the Pharisees refused to listen to Jesus and they refused to see Jesus. They turned a blind eye to Jesus and they're right next to Jesus. Solomon is here, uh, so, so they become their judges. So what are some of my takeaways? one, Don't turn a blind eye. See what God is doing. Look in our culture and see where God is moving. Get behind it. Take people to this movie, The Jesus Revolution. I haven't seen it. I'm just trusting Moody Radio, which is a pretty reliable source. Pack up your car. Go. But I also want to say, don't. Turn a blind eye to what our culture is doing. Don't turn a blind eye to what our culture is doing to children. It's really bad. Don't turn a blind eye to the destruction of the family in our culture. Our government works against it all the time. Don't turn a blind eye to our individual repentance impacts our world. I think in the evangelical culture, we take repentance to be just individual. It is individual. I, Stuart Patterson, need to repent of my sins. But the impact it has on my wife, on my children, on my neighbors, makes a difference. They see it. They respond to it. My repentance impacts my world. And then three, and finally. Are you running from God? Just remember the picture of that map map. God says, "Go this way. Jonah goes that way. as fast as he can. Are you running from God? In your marriage? Are you running from God in the way you discipline your children? Are you running from God in your commitments to worship and being here? Are you running from God? Let us pray. Lord God, you took a violent culture and because of Jonah, completely, completely saw a change. And you on the cross Completely changed not just the culture but the world, both individual lives and whole communities and lives. We're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you spent time in the grave, and we sang the song. You spoke, and you walked. We walked out of that grave. We walk out of our grave because you walked out of your grave, and I'm so grateful for that. Help anybody here who can identify that they're running from God to to turn around, to stop and just turn around. In addition, Lord, we have prayers for our congregation. We pray for the men's ministry that it would continue to grow and be vital. We pray for the revival at Asbury College and and now many other colleges, God. We pray for the, the movie The Jesus Revolution that if it's as good as I hear it is and if people really are coming to faith, Help me keep an open eye to that God and to bring people. We pray for our pastor search. God, that you would lead the, the committee in, into finding somebody that you've chosen for this, our church. We pray for Demi Hensmeyer's boss, 13-month-old grandson, Anakin, who was hospitalized due to meningitis. We pray for his parents, John, Samantha, that he would continue to recover. We pray for Rosemary Smith, who was recently hospitalized in rehab at Friendship Village. Pray for recovery. We pray for Allison Paula's friend, Susie's dad, who had bypass surgery, aneurysm. Pray for his doctors. We pray for Helen Daly, who has, uh, had COVID and fell ill on Friday and fractured her t- tibia. And we pray for Rhonda Johnson's uh, job interview. I don't know if she's already having it or she's going to it, but we pray it would be good. Pray for Rhonda's Aunt Daisy May who lost her husband, Andrew, last week. Pray for the that family God. So many things to pray about. So many people. We pray for a healing hand upon them all. Pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.